0: Church, can I invite you to stand as we receive now the Word, as we enter into the ministry of the Word. The Gospel reading for this evening can be found on the fifth chapter according to the Gospel of St. John, and I begin from the 19th verse. Glory to Christ, our Savior. <clears throat> John's Gospel, chapter 5, reading from verse 19 to verse 29. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. <clears throat> Amen. I invite you to join me as we bow our heads in prayer. So gracious and heavenly Father, we once again come before you as we have sung the song earlier on, that I will make room for you. So in this short period of time, Father, we come before you and ask of you, Lord, that you will be in our midst. We ask of you, Father, that you take every top captive, you take away every distraction, and that, Lord, you help us to turn our eyes on you, that our ears will be attentive to what you have to speak to us this evening. As we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, will you please be seated? Now, this evening, we're going to talk on this topic about a leader and his principles. Now, the importance of this subject is clearly demonstrated by David in our two passages that we want to focus on this evening in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 26. But for a start then, let's begin by understanding what is a principle. What is the meaning of this word? Well, if you were to look into the dictionary, the dictionary simply defines it in this way, that a principle is an accepted or professed rule of action. In other words, a principle is meant to guide us into certain personal behavior or conduct. And the truth of the matter is, every one of us here should be governed by a certain principle or two that we believe in and live by. And these guidelines, I do believe, varies from person to person because you may believe in one, you may want to follow a certain principle which may be different for me. So for instance, to one individual, it can simply be the principle of wanting to work hard. Believing that as you work hard, this is the way forward. And yet to another, It could be a a, a principle of living an honest life, of always telling the truth. Or maybe for yet another person, this is the simple principle of always putting God first in everything. And as you can see up in the screen, here are a few of other examples of guiding principles that perhaps some of us do believe and are guided by it. And you also find that interestingly, the Bible does tell us that our Lord Jesus Christ, while he was on this earth, he was also governed by a principle. In the gospel passage that I've just read earlier on, in John chapter 5, verse 19, you probably guess what is his principle. In this passage, you find that as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, he said to them these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And then if you go further down in verse 30, of the same chapter. He says this again to the crowd. He says, I can do nothing on my own, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In fact, you'll find that Jesus affirms this principle again and again throughout John's gospel. So what was Jesus' guiding principle in life? Well, it is simply this. That he, it was simply for him to be submissive, to be obedient to his Father in heaven. So if Jesus himself had a guiding principle to guide him, the question I guess for us is this, as leaders, as Christians, as disciples of Christ, do we live by a principle that you strictly hold on to? And today if you do not have any, then perhaps at the end of this sermon, we may ponder and determine the importance of being led by one. And today, as we reference into our two passages in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, we see now this one principle which David constantly stood firmly on. That in the face of the many pressures and the encounter that he encountered, he would not abandon, but he would cling tightly to this one principle. And eventually you find that it is this principle that produced unity and stability later on in David's reign as king. So what was his guiding principle? Well, David summed it up in Psalm 105, verse 15, where he says this, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. It was simply his refusal to harm, to bring down, to condemn, to say anything bad of whom he believed that God has chosen as king. And again, you will find that in these two chapters, you find five times, five times, how he held on to this principle in the face of many challenges. You see, although David knew that he was in line to be the next king of Israel, yet he would not stoop to violence to strike down whom the Lord has anointed. And as we unpack our passages today, we will encounter the five incidents and how he remained true to his principle and how he lived up to what he dearly holds on to. And so to begin, the first episode occurred here in the wilderness of and Gadi. So, if you have your Bibles, can I invite you to turn with me as we look into this story to 1 Samuel 24? And we're going to read the whole chapter whole, from verse 1 to verse 12. 1 Samuel 24, <coughs> reading from verse 1. Now, when, Samuel re- when Saul returned from following the Philistine, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of en Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and steadily cut off a corner of Saul's rope. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's rope. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 7, so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. See, my father... See the corner of your rope in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your rope and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Verse 12, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to God. (laughs) So apparently here, as you have read in the passage, you find that David had been using a network of caves in the hillside to store, number one, his supplies, and number two, to hide his men from the clutches of King Saul. And we know that the king, despite his campaign against the Philistine, Saul was still relentlessly pursuing David, and this time we are told in verse 2 that he took with him 3,000 troops in this particular quest. Now, it so happened, the the passage tells us that along the way, Saul happened, you know, to wanted to relieve himself, and so he went into this cave. But unknown to him, David and his men were hidden deep in the same, very same cave. And from the dark recesses at the back, the king was in full view of David and his men. But Saul could not see them. And for David's men, These outlaws, you know, for them, this was like a dream come true. It was a golden opportunity not to be missed. Sensing that this was the chance, you know, to finally get rid of Saul and to establish this new rule because his his men knew that, that Samuel had anointed David as the next king and wanting to put David in power, his men immediately concluded this. They told David, he says, here is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. In other words, David's man told David, now's the opportunity. Take the chance. Go and kill Saul, and you know, all our problems will be solved, and you will be the next king of Israel. So what did David do? We are told that David took his sword. He crept forward with great stealth towards the unsuspecting Saul. But then he did something that was kind of, you know, Caused his men to be dumbfolded. Because here was David. Instead of cutting off the head of Saul, David merely snipped off a piece of Saul's rope. And the reason is very simple. The reason, as David revealed in verse 5, was this. We are told in verse 5 that David was conscious stricken. And so upon returning to his men, He explained to them in verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand out against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. You see, David's principle was there for us to see. Yes, Saul was the anointed king. Yes, Saul was not a good king. Yes, David himself was anointed as the next king. But as long as Saul was alive, David said to himself, the opportunity may be there, but I will not do anything to harm God's anointed Saul as long as he's alive. So to David, he did not use opportunity to replace his principle. Yes, this man may argue, that the opportunity present was evidence of God's direction, and therefore it is a valid reason for putting aside his principle. But David thought otherwise. For him, if principle and opportunity clash, then his principle must remain strong. We see next that the strong backing of popular support also did not cause David to be unwavering in this principle. And what we can pick from David here as a leader in this following section from verses eight to 11 is that here was someone who, who, who did not subscribe to this type of a leadership, you know, in wanting to find out what the people want and then saying to himself, okay, if this is what you want, I will follow you and I will lead you to it. That's not what a leader should be like. In other words, he did not say to himself, I'm your leader, I will follow you what you want me to do. A leader does not follow his people. A leader leads. And normally you find that the strong voices of 600 loyal men that he has garnered together, these 600 voices would be loud enough to go and challenge your beliefs. But you find here that despite the popular support that David had, he still wasn't swayed in his principles. Yes, again, it may seem the right thing to remove Saul from power after all the bad that he had done because as king, well, he was not governing the, the nation very well. Remember, there were raiders going on the different countryside, but instead of protecting his own countrymen, Saul was more preoccupied with wanting to chase David. And we also, if you remember, he killed innocent people. He killed the entire priests of Nob. So this was the logical reason, popular support saying that you must do this. But yet we find for David, obedience to God was far more crucial than popular voices. In fact, you find out as pointed out, he rather used non-violent tactics as he tried reasoning, as he tried communicating with Saul as a means to talk things over. And so you find that after allowing Saul to leave the cave, He confronted the king verbally and for the second time we find David uttering out his principle in verse 10. He says, Some told me to kill you but I spat you for I will not put my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. And the logic for David's principle really lies in verse 12 where he remarked These words, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So yes, Saul may have been David's thorn in the flesh, but he will not retaliate. Why? Because David knew that God will be his vindicator. And in one of his many Psalms, in Psalm 26, he writes this, He says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I walk in my integrity and I have entrusted the Lord without wavering. Then again in another Psalm, in Psalm 54 verse 1, where it was mentioned last week at his betrayal by the Siphites who informed Saul of his whereabouts, David penned down these words. He says, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. So you see, this non-violent act apparently worked as we found out that both David and Saul, they temporarily reconcile. Saul recognized the graciousness of David's for sparing his life, and in shame, we are told that he called off the manhunt. But as we come now to 1 Samuel chapter 26, we discover now that Saul's penitence was short lived. Why? Because we are told that he returned back to his old ways of hunting down. David yet again and to summarize then this whole chapter we find that David and his men they were now hiding in the hill of which is called Hakaliah when the Zippites again revealed where David was hiding and so once more we are told that Saul dispatched his 3,000 chosen men just to seek David out and in doing so you find that the king had broken his promise earlier he had told David yes you are more honorable than me. I will stop hounding you. I will stop, I will stop uh, uh, finding you and killing you. But yet now we find that the king broke this promise. And because he broke this promise, many would regard that, hey, you know, this give David the right to strike back. But yet again, yet again, we find that David refused to take any action. So not even the treachery of Saul would cause David to go against his principle. And so as David looked down from the hilltop at night and saw where the king had a camp, a certain inspiration came to him. And so we are told as you look in the passage in, one, in, in chapter 26, that taking only Abisha with him, both of them, they crept past the sleeping guards undetected, all the way until they reached Saul, who was sleeping near Abner, the commander of his army. And at this point, look with me to verse 24. At this point, we are told that Abisha justified to David. When they both came to Saul, Abisha felt, hey, again, the opportunity is there. Why don't you strike down Saul and you can be king? And so he told David, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. In verse 8. And then he pleaded to David, now please let me pin him to the earth with this one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike twice." You see, here there is that fourth incident where David refused to allow himself to violate his principle. Knowing that his master will not strike the Lord's anointed and stain his hand, because David had mentioned this to his men, already a few times, Abisha was now volunteering to say, I will do the dirty work for you. You know, you don't have to do this work. You say you won't strike down the king's anointing, the Lord's anointed. I will do it for you. I will do it for you. And this offer to voluntarily spear Saul on David's behalf, put David in yet into another temptation. You see, as mentioned, if David was unwilling to strike down Saul, this meant Abisha was willing to do so. And he was willing to take the blame. You see, he clearly understood the political risk at stake. He knew that the future king need not saw his hand in this whole affair. So he told David, you just say the word and the assassination will be complete and you have nothing to be blamed. You are not to be blamed. I will take the full responsibility. It was tempting. I think many of us would probably be in David's situation and say, yeah, why not? You know, I'm I'm exalted of all this blame You know, he, 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 he would do it on my behalf It's okay But look what David did We are told that this generous offer Was rejected Why? Because David knew David knew that he could not turn his head away Even though that he would not be implicated He knew Because the fact that he knew of Abisha's plan And if David did nothing To prevent him from doing so David would have been equally guilty of Saul's death. Unlike Pontius Pilate at Jesus' trial, David would not take a basin and wash his hands saying, okay, go ahead, you do it. I will be innocent of this act. No, David remained true to his principle. In verse 9, we are told that he even reprimanded He scolded, he told of Abisha. He says this, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And he continues on in verse 10 and 11. He again stressed that as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And so convinced of this, David contented with taking only Saul's spear and jah and as a way of starting talks with Saul once again. So David's principle versus opportunity. David's principle against popular support. David's principle versus treachery and against proxy. You find that in each of these incidents, principle Finally, we see that David's stubbornness in refusal to go against his principle was tested now by a great need that was present. And to be precise, there were two needs. The first need was that of his 600 men. Now think about this. David and his men were on the run for about seven years or more. And ever since David left the palace... This man, his 600 fellow men, had been faithfully following him everywhere that he went. He went to the cave, there were his men. He ran away, there were his men following him. And for seven years, imagine if you were there for seven long years with David. They would certainly need some reprieve from all this wandering and hiding for many, many years. The mental stress was just too much to bear. Furthermore, don't talk about the fatigue, you know, and the weariness. All this could have taken the toll on their lives. I mean, just for us, already we are into this COVID for two years, and many of us are feeling the strain, isn't it? But here was David Mann, running away, doing weariness with all this situation that came upon him for seven long years. So there was this need for this man to get a reprieve. Besides these needs, <coughs> you find that the nation was also in need as well. The nation of Israel was in turmoil. There was too much fighting, and there was neglect in the land. The country needed a new change, a new leader, a new government, as the reign of Saul was causing great distress all around. We find that the people were harassed unjustly, the country was administered poorly, and the enemies were constantly threatening its borders. And so we can argue for David, and not fault him, if he put aside his principle due to this cause. But once again, we find that David, despite the desire for a reformation, it took second place to David's guiding principle. So the five incidents as to how David believed and lived out this principle. But I guess the question for us is this. What was the validity of David's principle? Why did he so stick to this principle and hung on so tightly? (laughs) Well, you find that this principle of David's loyalty to God's anointed leader is a strong reminder as well as a lesson for us that God is the ultimate controller of events. You see, you search throughout the Bibles, you will find that many men of God, will also echo this same thought. Let's look at the prophet Daniel. Daniel stated this to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 verse 20 to 21. He says this, "Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons; he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding." So David was, Daniel was a man who realized that even though he was in exile, even though the nation was in, 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 under, under enemy's control, Daniel knew that God was always in control, that everything is under God's hand. We move to the New Testament, we find that the Apostle Paul also echoes the same concept. In his letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Let every person be subjected To the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So if God anoints this person as a leader, our role is to accept it. We have need not rebel, we need not do anything, but just to accept it. Even Jesus hinted this at his trial. He told Pilate in John chapter 19 verse 11, he told Pilate that you have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. So you see, David based his principle on this conviction that runs throughout the Bible that God is sovereign and that God ultimately controls history. God is in control of everything and because of this though the situation may seem bad we only need to just trust in him just like david david did not eliminate Saul, but he just needs to show that willingness to submit to what god needs to do you find that david did not grumble david did not complain david did not incite a rebellion as many of us probably would have done as seen in David's men. Instead, we find that David resisted this idea and in fact, he refused to entertain such thoughts. Whenever he could, he would rather talk about reconciliation and peace. And so we find, as we close this ending part of this uh, chapter, chapter 26, we find that in the morning, after taking Saul's equipment, We are told that he stand on the top of the hill, and he once again confronted Saul with his innocence and forced a second time the king to confess his guilt. Now you must say that (coughs) this David sticking to his conviction did not come easy for him. His men will question him. Some may even doubt his leadership. But the important thing is this. Because of his stance on this principle, it ultimately became a binding force to the nation. You see, he wanted to win, not antagonize the tribe of Benjamin who had given Israel the first king. And if he had gone and followed what his men suggested to him and killed David when the opportunity came, what would the tribe think? If one of their own people, you know, from another tribe have assassinated uh, uh, someone from their own tribe and took over the country. It will not look good on, on, on David. It will only cause further chaos leading to an ugly civil war. And so in closing then, <clears throat> we learn of this importance of living by a principle to guide us. And as leaders, may the Lord enable you and I to find one that we can believe in and let that principle govern our very life.